This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919-1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, having my head shoved into the uh, steps of the Ulster Bank in Ranla, called butt of a gun put into the back of your skull. That's a moment where you go, OK, yeah, I think this one's up. How does a high-flying academic become one of Ireland's most prolific bank robbers? What I would see is the most important part of this still lies open. I'm Not Here to Hurt You, a brand new series from the award-winning team behind the Indo Daily. That November day, that's where it all, all begins. Out now wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Left Wing Podcast in association with Aldi. Spend €30 in-store for a chance to win €50,000 for your primary school. Kanichiwa, and you are very welcome to the Left Wing Daily, independent.e's rugby podcast. I'm Keen Tracy, and we've got the Dream Team back together. Rory O'Connor and Jonathan Bradley are here with me today. Lads, you've been doing such good work, I decided to treat you and bring you outside to record a podcast. We are on the Nakai River, is that it, Rod? Naka, Naka River on the Nakusa Island. Nakusa Island. We're right by... um, Outside the team hotel where the Yatoys are being set up. Have either of you eaten at a Yatoy yes. yet? Yeah, I had dinner here on uh, Sunday night. It's uh, it's actually a really cool spot at night time, like with all the um, sort of wee pop-up tents that um, Fukuoka is famous for. And obviously like all the sort of Japanese lanterns and stuff come out at night as well. It's an awful lot quieter now, thankfully, while we're trying to do this. Yeah, it's actually a bit windier. Cool. Yeah, it's a bit windier. Yeah, hopefully people can actually hear us properly, but it's pretty cool. See how they set up the stalls? They're on the back of little mopeds and they just kind of fold out and they open up, but the, the food is really nice there, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's class. It's, um, apparently it's the kind of foodie capital of Japan. And I'd say it's been a really nice change of pace here. I think the players are appreciating it as well. Um, coming down after, you know, a couple of different places, it just... It's a nice vibe around the place and the, the, the food, the, the food stalls uh, were a nice place to spend a couple of hours last night and uh, it's also a lot cooler which is, um, I don't think it was last week but the temperatures have definitely dropped. I know there's a lot of talk about typhoons but I'd say that you know, training was a lot more pleasant today because the humidity's completely gone out of the air and uh, those jeans that we've been lugging around for three weeks might finally get a run out. Yeah, I've pr- I brought about seven or eight shirts that I haven't worn either and like lugging that bag around Japan has not been fun so you might get to wear them. We've spoken so much about the the typhoon, or actually weather in general, lads, on our podcast. I'm sure people were riveted to, to hear us talking about it, but we actually had reason to speak about it yesterday and today. We are going to hear from Joey Carberry in a bit. He, he's back um, 100% fit, he says. We'll hear a bit from him later because Ireland have just had their press conference. But Simon Easterby was also speaking and... I guess they're saying that you know they're considering it as a game on as usual. But the latest word from the weather weather forecast is that the typhoon will miss Fukuoka, uh, so Ireland's game will go ahead here on Saturday. Now the weather here changes drastically because it's it is very different to a home, obviously. But it now appears that the Scotland Japan game could could be the one who's in danger. But I guess like we've seen since we've arrived here, it's it's so hard to tell when you're so far away from the game. It's hard to appreciate what it is as well. I mean, they're talking about this being a monster typhoon, the biggest of the season, and you know one of the biggest in in a long time. So 
I think because the weather's been so benign, you know, the humidity's been tough, but we haven't really seen, since the first week anyway, that the weather, it's hard to really, and I'm sure it's really hard for people back home to get the, you know, and, and they've had kind of been so many warnings over the course of the tournament that I'm sure they've probably switched off from it, but it did seem like it was a very real threat yesterday. Certainly the people who were talking about it um, were experts and seemed to think it was, you know, basically going to be a direct hit, but it's blown off course, it's heading, heading north. I think it does take in some of this Kyushu Island that we're on, but it's not going to take on the left or the was it the, the western side that, that where Fukuoka is, which is probably a, a, a relief um, for everyone because I you know I think they probably would have tried to moved it up to Kobe under the roof or something like that. But imagine the list, logistical challenge of taking this game, which has been planned for two years, up the road to underneath the roof. How would you deal with tickets? How would you get the teams? I mean, imagine how the players don't like being thrown off the rhythm. Imagine what Joe Schmidt would have been like if if you'd been told all of that. So he doesn't like when the bus doesn't arrive <laughs> yeah, in time. Exactly. So exactly, you know, so it would be just a, a logistical nightmare. Um, they might have moved it back by 24 hours. That would have upset Scotland. They would be, you know, they would have been up in arms about it. It just it's easier if everything goes on on track. And timing wise, yeah, we don't know whether it's going to hit Japan, Scotland, or whether it's go, it's going to pass before that. Or I mean, there's so much time between now and then. Um, it's a it's a very much a wait and see. Yeah, I'm not going to like make excuses for us or anything. But this was like a serious deal. This wasn't like real. scaremongering. It was like it made great name as well. It made uh, made headlines in the Washington Post. Apparently, it was like the biggest growing. Like from tropical storm to super typhoon, the fastest this has happened since like '96, I think. So it is, it is like a big thing. It will seem like uh, we were making a big deal out about nothing now that it looks like it's going to pass us. But you mentioned Scotland there, and I think that's interesting because um, Gregor Townsend um, yesterday came out and said that superb, came superb out and line. said first of all that moving the game was not an option. It had to be played on Saturday, otherwise it was in the Leeds draw, which was not what the word coming out of Ireland but, but was. That's the actual, the but that's the actual tournament rules. So yeah. he was obviously well versed on the tournament rules so that the like, game had to be yeah. played in the same day. But I guess. Buy, come back and bite him, is that what you're it, saying? Yeah. yeah. And then obviously, the <laughs> he was obviously in a feisty mood yesterday because he uh, described it as absolutely incredible that uh, Japan had got the try in the end off the Samoan crooked feed. Yeah. So there was a few a few various bees in his bonnet, one of which I think was probably entirely legitimate because, as he says, when do you ever, ever see that called? Absolutely. Uh, to go back to the first one, I mean, whatever Gregor Townsend said and whatever the tournament rules are, which are probably in place for tournament that normally takes place and fairly reasonably, but I know Australia can be pretty extreme at times, you can't have a pool decided based on, on, on the weather and a nil all draw. I know it happens in cricket, you know, the, the, you know, there's there's different methods put in place for that. But I mean the integrity of the whole thing would have gone to if a big nation gets knocked out. From what we were hearing yesterday, I mean all off the record kind of stuff, that, that that was just not going to happen. You mentioned about moving the game. From what I hear, World Rugby probably would have been prepared to break their own rules if it meant moving the game to Sunday because, like I said, you cannot have yeah. a World Cup game decided by a nil-all draw, can you? Yeah, whatever about a World Cup game, whatever about, say, a Namibia-Canada game, not to be disrespectful to those for nations. Any, for any Namibian or <laughs> Canadian <laughs> listeners. But this is like the pool. Like this is this, these, these two games decide the fate of three nations and you cannot have, like after all that effort has gone into it, like it just wouldn't be fair on these players. It's a once in a generation, so once in a lifetime for many of them. I mean, like there's a few on their on their second. Rory Best is on his fourth, I think. A lot of players will only ever play in one World Cup. The same with Scotland, the same with Japan. It would be very unfair to it just sort of things. like torpedo the integrity of the competition. I think. Um, Obviously, they can't control the weather, but the fact that if they had have taken that decision to award it as a nil-each draw, the fact that it would have so hugely benefited Japan as well, <laughs> like it would have been... Optics wouldn't have been You wouldn't have actually no. been Scottish, Scottish this week. I mean, the, the, that decision 
a number of decisions, like the world, world Rugby's decisions went against Ireland. In the, sorry, World Rugby admitted that decisions went against Ireland that shouldn't in those games. Like Scotland are up against it this weekend. They are, but lads, I, I have a feeling they have a performance in them. I've been so impressed with Japan in, in everything that they've done. And, you know, they have probably gotten a couple of decisions in their way. They've had the benefit of the breaks in between. But Scotland generally have one big performance or even one half like they showed in Twickenham earlier this year. And I don't know, I have a funny feeling they might they might cause an upset here. The pressure on Japan is going to be absolutely immense. Like you talk about the opening uh, the opening fixture and how they prepared for that for 10 years and had that sort of um, opening night jitters, as it were, um, and looked fairly subpar against Russia. For them to be on the cusp of now being expected to make history by getting into the quarterfinals, I don't think we can possibly forget just how big it would be for them to make the knockout stages regardless of the fact that this is their home World Cup so the pressure on them is going to be absolutely unreal come this Scotland game but they're, they're going to be minimum four points clear so there is a manageable target there of just a losing bonus that will put them on course for the All Blacks but I mean they just got hammered by the box before they came out I don't think playing either of them I don't think they're in a position where they need to start thinking about who they're playing in the quarterfinal because playing in the quarterfinal is the achievement and I mean the locals love the All Blacks here just the idea of Japan playing the All Blacks at a World Cup would just really float a lot of people's boats I think it would be seen as a massive achievement it would make the tournament so I think the fact that they have something tangible that's not even just a win that they need to come in in seven I, that's a dangerous fixture for Scotland and it's like for all that, like I haven't even looked at which ref is in charge, but that ref is going to be under massive pressure to get to, to, to you know, from the fact that it's the host. It's just a, it's an unenviable position that I, I feel Scotland, for all that they might have a performance in them, I just think Japan have such momentum behind them, and it's a momentum tournament. Yeah, so like we said at the start, there we we're just out of Ireland's press conference, sort of in keeping with the whole theme of this tournament. It was another remarkably positive, and I feel like the coaches in particular have really spoken well I thought he, Simon Easterby who was just up spoke really well as well um, we had a few players up I think the players are probably getting sick of seeing us and it, like it works both ways unfortunately because you're seeing the same faces all the time and you know some players are having to talk twice in the same week and it is kind of at that stage in the tournament now where you know everyone has spoken to each other a lot but I think that the coaches are really have really fronted up well. Uh, like we mentioned, Joey Carberry is, says he's back. He's 100% fit. I was kind of just writing up a piece there and thinking about it. For a guy who had such a good season while he was fit, uh, his debut season with Munster, it really all went wrong for him, didn't he? Picked up that hamstring injury and you, you would have felt like this World Cup was sort of tailor-made for him because while Sexton was unquestionably the, the number one, there would have been plenty of scope for Carberry to play and it just hasn't worked out. He picked up the ankle injury and... You know, other coaches might not have taken Joey Carberry. Now, personally, and I think most people would agree, he's far too important to Ireland, but another coach mightn't have felt like it was worth taking because you're considering your... You know, there was a couple of doubts over players, even Keith Earls. So uh, we'll have a listen to hear what he says, lads, and we'll have a chat about it. Just in terms of that injury and uh, that little setback, as you described next week, do you feel that you're at 100% at this stage and you can put all the kind of disappointments and frustrations over what's been a long period of time. It's all the way back to February. Uh, you can put those behind you against some of the weekend. Yeah, hopefully. Um, it has been quite a frustrating year with injuries and stuff, but uh, no, I, I think I'm, I'm fully back now and I feel feel back to myself as I was, so um, that's a huge confidence boost for me and um, I suppose I can get just get back out there and do what I've been doing. 
Joe, you said about feeling lucky to, to have been on the plane, given you know, the coaching staff showed that faith in you, given that you had to recover from that injury. Now you are like, ready to go again. Do you feel like it's time to sort of repay that faith? Yeah, definitely. Um, they showed a lot of faith in me, and I'm very grateful for it. So I want to go out and do the job and show them that they weren't wrong. So, um, yeah, definitely, that's in the back of my mind. Besides the injury, were you in the form of your career uh, in, the, in the gap in between all of this? Uh, yeah, I think it, things were falling into place. It was um, I was getting a lot of game time and I was kind of getting to the, the swing of things. So uh, yeah, it, the injuries were a bit frustrating, but it just shows that with game time and consistency at the position I'm playing at, then I can get a lot better. So um, hopefully now, touch wood, everything I say injury free and kind of push on from there. Yeah, so he says that you know he's he's feeling 100% that he's he's ready to go, and it's sort of interesting that he's he's talking about repaying the faith that that Schmidt has shown in him. You know, he missed the the game over Scotland. He came back against Japan. He didn't look he didn't look fit, did he? But obviously, he wanted probably to get the game time, and then he was a late withdrawal from the Russia game last week. So, do we think he'll play? Are we gonna like that's what I was wondering. wondering. Like I, I I was off yesterday, so I wasn't here for the kind of when Andy Farrell said everyone was going to play. I know Brendan Fanning had a line on Sunday's Sunday Independent that. Both Sexton and Carberry will be involved this weekend. Do we see him fitting in at 15 maybe? Do we see him starting at 10 with Sexton on the bench to come on? I think the sense is that I have is that Sexton's going to be playing. So yep. does Carberry come off the bench or do they need to actually get him on there, play him at 15? And what if that if you know if that is the selection? That's a, like I, I've been waiting to see this for a long time. You know, I mean, we're never going to see him at well under this regime. We're not going to see him at 12. But get the two of them on the pitch, and you might see Ireland moving towards kind of where we want them to be. I think we spoke about this before, maybe in Carton House, of how much I think we all sort of regretted Carberry's injuries, not just um, in August, but throughout the year. We never really got the chance to see a bit of an experiment with Carberry and Sexton on the field together because they're obviously two of Ireland's most exciting and most important attacking talents. Um, They just happen to be playing the same position provincially. So I think it would be a really good time for us to see it. I think it would be a good... um, opportunity against for the type of game that it's going to be as well just um to take a bit of the pressure off Sexton if Carberry can come in and obviously from a bit deeper than other teams are trying it would be that second playmaker and just on what you know whether he's going to start at 10 I don't think I don't think that can really be an option at all like that would have a just a bit of a hum of Lens 99 about it, like resting people for a game that you don't definitely know you're going to have. And Rob, and Rob, I noticed that, sorry, I noticed that 30 players trained today, but Rob Carney did come off with a soft tissue injury last week. I mean, he'd have to be a little bit concerned, and he I, did back up those two games in five days, so there might be a slot there. Does Larmer, should Larmer get it? I don't know. I'm less I'm less optimistic about, about seeing that this weekend. I think it would be absolutely brilliant, but I think the reason Joey Carberry left Munster and he's played all 10 for Munster is because, you know, Joe Schmidt wanted to see him play out half. It, I think it's great in theory, but I think if, if Carberry had stayed with Leinster, he probably would have played more at 15 and then it becomes more of a realistic option. I think they've invested a huge amount into Jordan Larmer as that sort of 15 after Kearney. Um, be interesting to see if he is the one to, to go on the... Andrew Conway at 15 thing has never really materialised and while I agree with Jonathan you can't really be resting players there's also the factor of the pitch which we mentioned yesterday Jonathan on the podcast and I'm sure if everyone at home has been watching the games in Fukuoka they'll have seen how badly it cuts up it's really not a type of pitch that you want to be throwing a guy who has a dodgy ankle onto it but my sense would be that Sexton will start with Carberry on the bench and maybe if Carney doesn't play then Larmer at full back but I think the Carberry at full back thing 
like you said, is probably on hold for this regime. Now, maybe I'll be totally wrong. I, I have been before, but I think that's probably for another day because he moved to Munster to play 10. There are no other days, though. And and if you want to get... And, and sorry, like... If, in, if in, Car- I mean in Andy Farrell era, sorry. Yeah, maybe I mean. so, but Carney is... Uh, if, it depends on what, whether Carney's fit, whether you want to put Larmer in there, whether you want to rest Keith Earls who played twice in five days. Like, there is a bit of management going on out there, and I suppose it's kind of early in the week kind of to know firmly. I, 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 Car- sorry, Carberry has played a lot of fullback in the last 20 minutes of games. And I just wonder, I like there's the Bowden Barrett element, and I've kind of harped on about this for the three, three or four years that Carberry's been on the scene. Like he could be Ireland's Bowden Barrett, even not coming off the pitch at number number 23. The way Bowden Barrett did a, did it four years ago for New Zealand in 2015, get more out of him off the bench, you know. And it, it, like you want Sexton finishing games if he's able to, because we've seen what happens when he's not there because things have fallen apart. Um, it's just a matter of where, whether Carberry's really fit because he didn't look really fit last time. I just think you need a different element, like. We've seen throughout, I think, the teams that are succeeding in this World Cup are not the ones that have been trying to play in the way that even 2018 Ireland succeeded in doing so, being able to hold the ball for so such long periods. I don't think from what we've seen, and I think it's maybe even surprised the teams that are here, that you can't hold onto the ball for that long. I think the conditions are far tougher to play in than anybody really expected. And I think that's why we've seen so many errors. I think that's why we've seen a good number of fairly low quality games. And I think that you have to then develop your attack in a way that you're not relying on so many forward carries. You have to add that bit of a spark, that different attacking element that I think Carberry could be probably Ireland's most realistic. I know it's untried, really, but I think that's the most realistic way of changing up your attack at this late stage. Just the weather seems to have changed, I mean, as we said. But let's say, I think that factor is going to... like We're going to see a different kind of game from now on because mm. that humidity is gone, because the ball won't be as slick. Obviously, if a typhoon hits, it's going to be very different. Than it, might be, it might be slick in a different way. Um, and Ireland will have to adapt to that. I think Ireland have players, though, I think we've spoken about it before the podcast, the likes of Gary Ringrose, who Leinster have been pushing so often to be that second playmaker outside of Sexton. And even, you know, we'd assume Robbie Henshaw is going to come back this weekend. And, you know, I did a piece in Saturday's paper and kind of going through the, the players and how they'd sort of performed. And for me, Ringrose has been Ireland's best player at this World Cup. can't play this weekend, though, can he? No, sorry, but yeah. I, I, sorry, I'm looking for, towards a potential quarterfinal, which could be dodgy. But in terms of the centre partnership, because before it, it seemed like... Um, Joe Schmidt was going to stick with Bundyaki and Robbie Henshaw. And if Robbie Henshaw does his usual thing and comes back and hits the ground running, then you do, I think, in Gary Ringrose have an option to be that second playmaker because I think Henshaw hasn't done it enough. And while he, and I know he hates being known as you know a 12 who just kind of gets you over the gain line, he's just really effective at that. And I think in Gary Ringrose, you have a guy who can be that second playmaker outside of Sexton. Yeah, no, he, he, he's, he's shown a, a, an ability to do it and if they're trying to push them in that way, um, under pressure, I think Harbury is better at it. But you're right, it's very late in the day to try and bring him in. I think it's more off, an off-the-bench option. I think it's a, you're chasing the game, which Ireland are terrible at. You know, you bring bring him on and, and he can give you another option and just change the way you're playing and just give sex and a bailout, or a bailout in the way. I mean... God, England and New Zealand have brought a double pivot in very, or sorry, New Zealand brought it in very late in the day. Like the Lions produced it with Farrell and Sexton, you know, quite quite short notice over in New Zealand as well. The two of them know each other. They've done it quite a lot of a club level. So, it, I think it's an option for Schmidt. I don't know necessarily if you take. You're probably right. I don't know if he'll take it, but I'd love to see it. I I just would love to see it for even just 60 minutes on Saturday to see how it goes against the physical team. Like you don't want to be going up 
into these into these Samoan collisions time and time again relentlessly you want to be pulling out of the back you want to give them a second option that you, that that they're not that they're worried about and I think for all that Ringrose is comfortable with the ball in hand and they've worked on him Carberry's way way better at it because he's just he is a 10 and he can play as a 10 uh, in that in that scenario I hope you're right because we've all covered Joe Schmidt teams for so long now and it, like at such a late stage in the World Cup it might go against sort of the grain in what he usually thinks but you mentioned England there just before we recorded the podcast you see there's a picture of Billy Vunapola doing the rounds that he's in in a moon boot and you talk about guys who are central to, to everything you do Billy Vunapola is that guy and while England are just humming at the moment they've got a lot of guys in good form Vunapola is, is their man like isn't he especially when it comes to knockout rugby like I predicted England in the paper to win the World Cup uh, before it started, but an awful lot of that is predicated on them keeping really that key sort of five Saracens, the, f- yeah, Saracens the five crew. strong group um, and throw Tealagi in there as well of keeping those players fit. Uh, he's a ma- here. He would be a massive, massive loss for them. Obviously, we've all se- seen players in moon boots where it has been purely precautionary, but you do worry about just the amount of rugby that they put him through. I think that's 12 games in a row um, that he's played now. And it's a sh- huge, huge toll for somebody. He hasn't even played that well, I don't think. Like, you know, he's 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 not, he hasn't got up to the is level. He f- is he fully fit, I wonder, well, you Well, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a, like, there is a suggestion, and I hadn't heard this before, but it seems to be coming out of the English more and more that he only plays well when Mako's there, and it seems to be coming out of Saracens that, that when Mako's there, that he's a much, much better team, much, much better player. That's very interesting. Um, that they have this relationship that he doesn't just doesn't quite get up for it as much. I mean, I think there's a massive flaw. There's massive flaws in England's game that may never be exposed, but I think they're there, and I think a New Zealand or a South Africa, maybe even an Ireland, could on their day figure out how to beat them. I thought they were like they weren't that good against Argentina until Argentina reduced to 14 men, and even then. Argentina kind of stayed on top of them and it took a very ropey decision about a line-out mall that kind of allowed England to get once they're in the 22 they're brilliant but when they're outside the 22 I, there is a lot of doubts I have about them um, I think they'll they'll run aground somewhere in the knockout stages although having been able to rotate their squad against France this weekend is pretty bon- pretty good bonus because otherwise they'd have to back back to back to back for five weeks which is a tough thing to do England had one of the toughest schedules I think because you know we saw them obviously in August and they looked ready to win a World Cup but they weren't going to play a game until this weekend really like you yeah. can say whatever you want about Argentina but coming into this tournament they hadn't won a game in 12 months they're terrible so they had three games that barring disaster they were going to win so the condition that they were in in August was going to bear very little resemblance to what they had to be in to beat France quarterfinal semi-final final and it's been interesting to see how they have tried to manage that again it's going to be one of those you know the, the proof's going to be in the pudding four years ago we all said that Ireland were taken along brilliantly having um, went through the pool stages building gradually so it's I think if they do as you say uh, run a grind in the knockouts. I think one thing that they are going to look back at is when they peaked and if they peaked far too early, considering the pool. I, I like your I like your optimism now. Your one one guest appearance from Ruth Gorman yesterday, who very much you know had our glass full. So it's rubbing off on you. But um, we've won game today, like South Africa and Canada. Jonathan, your old mate Peter Nelson is up again. Yep, starting again. Yeah, starting ten again. It's sort of amazing that he was playing fifteen for Ulster, you know, so often, and now he's he's starting ten at a World Cup. But I think he'd still probably say that fifteen or wing is his favourite position. Like we saw him play at the very tail end of his um, Ulster career. He played twelve as well. But like while you know at Royal School Dungannon, he was a ten. 
so much of his professional rugby was in the back three until really he had a gap at 10 at the start of a Pro 12 season and he was the one that filled the void and that was really the first sort of extended run he had obviously he unfortunately got injured then after that Yeah, Shane O'Leary obviously another Irishman providing a cover on the bench but just looking at this box team you're kind of flicking through it and you know, it's, it's a lot of dirt trackers and then they just have like loads of the first team thrown in there as well. This could be a, a, another big score that uh, a top team could put on its uh, tier two. It's de- it definitely will be. I think that that pool always looked lopsided and uh, Italy having no props left is going to be, you know, make things you know, a lot less interesting against New Zealand the weekend. I think the big talking point from this one, from an Irish perspective, is the fact that it's South Africa's last game before the quarter final, And if Ireland do go on the top of the pool, that means, by my count, it's a 12-day turnaround, maybe an 11-day turnaround, which will suit Razzy Rasmus nicely. He'll, like, he won't know who, who he's playing until the weekend, but um, the, I'd say they've already done... I'd say Felix Jones will suddenly appear in front of the group on uh, a Friday morning with a They better a give big, us the heads up. With the dossier. <laughs> no, I think he'll appear in front of the South African team with, a, with his dossier. The, the Joe files will be brought out. They'll be taken out of cold storage. And uh, He hasn't seen Light of Day since he went into that, that squad. No, they've, locked yeah, him in, they've locked him in the darkened room. Yeah, apart from so training on the wing. He's probably locked himself in, the, in well, a darkened what, room. What I imagine it is like, you know the rooms you go into to develop photographs. I imagine he's in there like with all the files. The Joe files. <laughs> the yeah, Joe no, files. It's, it's going to be interesting. Like, so that, that, that factor is, is there. I mean, obviously Ireland have to get over Samoa. Um, which I think they will. I, like I, I was out with Samoans this morning, and, and that they, they were they're building towards something. I think because they feel like they haven't done themselves fully justice this weekend, this this tournament so far. But I think if we can if we can allow our minds to drift a little bit, that will worry Joe Schmidt if if, if he has an eight day turnaround and the, the box have been able to focus on Ireland for that long. Yeah, it'll be that'll be a fun week. But lads, just to finish off, we've got a few questions here. Uh, thank you to everyone who got in touch. Uh, Chris Walkinshaw asks: Peter O'Mahony was the game changer against the All Blacks in November. Do we think that he will find his form at this World Cup? For me, Ruddock starts ahead of him at the moment. Yep, agreed. Um, his discipline's been poor. His carrying isn't where it used to be. Um, he did a couple of really good things against Russia, but he did a couple of bad things as well. And, and you have to bear in mind it was Russia, even though he said it was a they're a top quality side. They aren't. Um, and I, he is one of the big concerns in this. You know, if you think of the 2018 back row of Stander, Levy and Omani um, that trio you know, one's obviously not here because of a horrible horrible injury one is playing like it was man in match against Scotland but you know, just doesn't seem to be getting as much out of himself as, as he did before and then you've got Omani who just is part of the leadership group is a really important part of this team but isn't performing to the level that he should be now he can move to seven I think Joe, Joe Smith is looking at that because against the box I'm not sure Josh van der Feer is physical enough in that uh, regard but I'd be building my back row around, around Reece Ruddock yeah hey, sorry, sorry, I agree Johnson. with you 100% I think it depends very much who they play in the quarter final I think if they were to play South Africa then I think we see Josh drop out and I think if they were to play New Zealand then maybe possibly um, you could see Pete drop out but I agree with you 100% like it has to be you can't go into a World Cup quarterfinal not rewarding the form in the pool stage. I just think it's a recipe for disaster. And like, I think really that's two games in a row where it looked like Pete got on the wrong side of the referee very early on. And Reese Ruddock, as he always has done for Ireland, to be fair to him, took his chance, let nobody down. And I think, you know, you talk about optics, I think it would be very bad optics to have Reese Ruddock not 
playing a big part for the rest of this tournament. Yeah, and my my highly civilized rankings that I did, I think I had Reese Ruddock as the you know the the next best Irish player. And you go back to that Pro 14 final, and he was absolutely outstanding. Simon Eastbury was just set, telling us there that he had a couple of niggles going into preseason, and maybe that held him back again because that is a guy who would have won a lot more caps if he had been fit. But yeah, I think Reese Ruddock is absolutely pushing on the door to answer your question, Chris. Connor McIntyre asks centre combo for the quarter final. We've kind of touched on that really already, haven't we? He reckons New Zealand both have big centres, so do we match it with Bundy and Henshaw, Farrell if Henshaw's not fit, or do we go Bundy and Ringer, or have Gary on the bench to come in as an early thought? I think we have to see Henshaw. Mm. We can't make that call until we see Henshaw. I mean, based on the Wales game, I think it's Henshaw Aki against South Africa and Henshaw Ringrose against New Zealand. But it's been four weeks since, or three or four weeks since we've seen him. That's my that'll be the way I go. Yeah, Jonathan, I have one for you. Sean from Sean Liam Malloy has his decision to carry so many injured players, players with injuries. Sorry, in the squad, Earls, Carney, Henshaw, Carberry, etc. Backfired, or is it now just a feature of modern rugby? It seems like everyone is injured, whether we know about it publicly or not. Welcome to our world, Sean <laughs> Liam Malloy. Um, I think you could see this bubbling even in the way that Rory Bass spoke and the way that Joe Schmidt spoke before the tournament. like I think this will be the last tournament that we see 31-man squads, irrespective of the amount of money it costs to put up an extra two, three players per squad in a hotel for two months. But has the decision backfired? I think it's difficult to say because with an awful lot of those guys, I think if you were to ask anybody, not, not just Joe Schmidt, I think people would have taken the risk Certainly on Carberry, I don't think there was much dissent on that decision at the time. Even on Henshaw, it's really only post-Japan that this has happened. But I think that you have to look at the strain that it puts on training. You know, we've heard about the last World Cup with, you know, Les Kiss and one of the RFU's video analysts having to run in training. And it sounds like, this year you know, as well, we're, in a, similar, yeah, we're yeah. in a similar situation yeah, this time. As well. Andy Farrell, uh, oh my God, imagine going up against Andy Farrell even still now. In, in, like, in, in good in Nick. We've, we've had a hooker having to play centre in training, which I can only hope was uh, Sean Cronin. Yeah. So I think you really do have this difficulty that is putting on training even more so than the matches. Well, Addison's injury has kind of screwed everything up from that point of view as well. I mean, if, if he was fit and ready to go, maybe he'd make a case for it, but really there's no like for like in the centre. Uh, I think the drop-off to what's there is just too big, and it probably was worth the gamble because there really isn't. For all we talk about depth in World Cup cycles, when it came down to it, there was no one really there to be called up, so you kind of had to hang on to them. Yeah, Eggwan asks, what's the actual likelihood of a typhoon sending Ireland home early? We've kind of touched on that, uh, fingers crossed, although it has gotten a bit windy since we've recorded a podcast, but fingers crossed it's avoiding Fukuoka. Cullum Cronin, the back three looks like the most competitive area so far. Who starts this weekend and then into quarterfinal, assuming we make it? I think in the quarterfinal, I think it's definitely going to be what it's been for a long time. It's going to be Keith Harris, Jacob Stockdale and Rob Carney if they're all fit. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, Conway's put himself in the frame but I don't, I'm not sure if he's quite done enough and I think the three players have like in a, in a World Cup where there's lots of disruption that's quite an established combination um, this weekend I mean I've already said I, I think it would be great if Carberry plays I wouldn't be surprised if it's Larmer Stockdale Conway or Earls probably Earls isn't it Earls I mean, probably needs, Earls needs game another game, game yeah. so yeah like it could be I mean Larmer in fairness probably I mean, for all that I want Carberry to play there Larmer did so much in that Scotland game he probably deserves yeah. another go yeah he was excellent yeah I think yeah, you'd expect to see that familiar three back there in the quarter final column and finally Connor 13C asks there were 13 red cards issued in the previous seven World Cups here we go with Stato only one in 2015 there should have been five issued 
or sorry, there have been five issued in this tournament. Should we follow the rugby league model where players get a sin bin and report charge for anything other than serious fair play? Good question. I think some sort of a solution that doesn't see games ruined would be, you know, would be good. I mean, if if you go out and deck someone, you should get a red card, and you probably should be punished for it. If you go out and miss time attack or miss. You get that your angle's wrong and you clash someone's head. Maybe so I've seen it suggest that maybe you get an orange card or, or some other colour that you go off for ten minutes Simbin and then you're replaced. That you lose the player but you don't lose the, the, the number. I mean yeah, you would certainly have to make it twenty minutes, I think. I think it has to be something more severe. More severe to deter against high tackles. But I th- you then obviously get in the debate as well of what constitutes serious foul play. I know like yeah, it's already very would have all been exposed to it more like um with the black card and stuff, but Italy, for example, like what's the black card? Sorry, only <laughs> 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 there's only one dove around here. I certainly know what the black card is. <laughs> like Italy, for example, you know, does that constitute serious foul play? I would think that oh, that's a red. That, that, that like, that's just know, a red. That has to be a red. Really. But that was shocking. Yeah, the degree of uh, whether that's mistimed or dangerous, I think, really clouds an issue that we already have difficulty with. You know, we've seen so many coaches come out during this tournament already and say I don't know what a yellow card and a red card is you know you, you missed it yesterday Rod on your, on your day off we got a, a master class and defence from and tackle technique from Andy Farrell and it was one of those things where myself and Jonathan were actually talking afterwards that it was going to be very hard to kind of relay and print because so much of it w- was done with actions and where his head was and it was another real eye opener because you know when everyone talks about the players talk about what makes Andy Farrell so good it's that, you know, when he speaks, the room listens, you want to go through a wall and you're kind of walking away from that afterwards thinking, geez, I'd love a half an hour of a tackling session here. And it was really interesting. His his main takeaway, Jonathan, was that you should lead with your head in that. And he, he like rode back and he was trying to say, like, let me explain what I mean, that if you move your head when you're making a tackle, you can't really see what you're actually doing if your head isn't there. And it was a really interesting point that he said that kids need to be taught now to tackle with their head up and like basically with their head straight through and as he said not straight through someone's chest is not what he means but you get what he means doesn't don't you because while I'm sort of I'm, I'm kind of doing the Andy Farrell actions here now which doesn't <laughs> translate very well on a podcast but it was very interesting to hear that you know a defence coach like that talking about how it needs to happen I guess from the top down but also from for the young kids yeah because like we spoke to Gary Ringrose before the Scotland game which feels like about two months ago now but you know he was talking about reaction times more so than communication and anything else being the primary driver of defense and that was something that Andy Fowler really touched on yesterday of if you're going head down whether your head's high or low you can't react to the split second change in depth which is something that we've really seen throughout this tournament of mitigating factors when to go or how low you can get when somebody dips into the tackle and Andy Farrell was really interesting on that. But as you say, even from the, I suppose, the safety aspect of we- as well, of changing the way that um, younger kids have been coached into it as well. Yeah, well, I hope that answers your question, Connor. Lads, I don't know, is the fresh air gone to your heads or what, but we've <laughs> ran way over time because this is probably the longest podcast that we've done. But yeah, thanks for joining me and we will be back tomorrow for another one. Cheers, Kate. Cheers. The Left Wing Podcast in association with Aldi. Spend €30 in store for a chance to win €50,000 for your primary school.